Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network And welcome to the Radioactive Show Recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people At the studios of 3CR Melbourne Broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network This is part two of a two-part show Looking at global warming and militarism. In part one, we spoke with Dr. Marty Brennigan, and that podcast is available on our website at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive show. Joining me today is longtime anti-war activist Jacob Grek. Jacob Grek is with the rapid anti... What's it called, Jacob? RAF. RAF. Renegade Activist Jackson Force. That's the one. I had rapid rapid in my mind. Rapid (laughs) anti... The Abbott days just came, kept coming back to me. Oh, we'll, we'll wrap it anti-you one day, <laughs> So uh, we, we, I've got Jacob's uh, kind enough to come to have a chat with us in the studio today to talk about climate change and war and about uh, some of his uh, possibly recent actions at Pine Gap, if we have time. But, uh, Jacob, how's it going? Oh, doing all right, mate, doing all right. Um, you know, battling, cl- battling the climate to get here on time today. Yeah. Um, but um, we'll, we're here now, so we... Um, at least all I had to do was get to 3CR. I didn't have to land an invasion force on the other side of the planet. Right. That, that's a, quite a long way to land an invasion <laughs> force. So uh, global warming and war, just uh, tell us what you know a bit about uh, those, the connection between those two, Jake. Well, there's, <clears throat> they're intricately connected. Um, there are two ways they're connected. Um, the effect and the affect, I guess you'd call them, um, I believe you've spoke to, I haven't heard your podcast yet, I'm sorry. That's okay. I um, spoke to Dr. Marty Brannigan. Um, now, he's done a lot of work on um, the way militarism affects climate change. Yeah. And so I, I figured that um, Dr. Brannigan knows so much about that that it'd be superfluous for me to add anything to what he was saying. So I was going to take a different tack and hit it from the other side and say the effects of the of climate change on militarism. And tell us about that. All right, but... Um, but also, um, th- they go hand in hand. And um, I guess to start with, though, I want to raise something on Marty's side of the of the ledger that um, possibly he didn't raise, and that is the greenwash. Mm. A lot of the greenwash that's going on with climate change. I'm not a climate change denier by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. However, um, when you look at some of the environmental awards, some environmental moves that are taking place, etc., sponsored by arms companies. Yeah. Can I give an example? Give one. So at the University of Melbourne, they're doing lots of research in how to monitor how much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere. And so they're using satellites to count the the changes in the atmosphere, and that's all sponsored by Lockheed Martin. It's a huge program in the atmospheric sponsored by Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Who knows what else they're doing with the technology? You know, Boeing, um, a while back, I think 20 years ago now, um, were sponsoring a lot of environmental um, effects on militarism. one company, I'm trying to remember who it was, developed an envir- a green bomb, an environmentally friendly bomb, mm. you know, because it killed people and destroyed buildings and it was so accurate that it didn't hurt the environment around the building. Well, that's all right then. There were, you know, you could see great colour glossy um, ads and mm. even video presentations in, in the arms trade fairs about this thing knocking out a building and leaving the trees and the shrubbery around it standing. Wow. So it was environmentally friendly. Yeah, 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 that's pretty gross. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty gross. And then, you know, and people not understanding the connection 
um, many years ago in the 80s when I was I was um, working in Canberra and I was living um, I was living in an old 1956 in the National School Bus mm-hmm. and the people from the Environment Centre asked me to move a whole lot of equipment down to a fo- southeast forest action to them and then started lambasting me and criticising me when I was using hydrocarbon-based product to clean my brakes right. to go over the snowy mountains in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, well, yeah. you know... Um, yeah. <sighs> What what can you do? Um, you've got to get over the mountains. You need you've got breaks. to get over the mountains, and not only that, but you know, even stuff like that that isn't for the military. Um, a lot of products, a lot of mechanical engineering products, um, need to abide by or meet what they call mil spec military specifications. Mm, mm, yep, go on. So military specifications are set by the Pentagon about which products are good for engineering. Whatever area. So while for brakes there are other products that can be used, mm-hmm. Millispec in those days said it had to be hydrocarbon-based. Right. So therefore, you go to Repco or any of these other places to buy something, they're not going to stock something which is not Millispec. Right. Otherwise, because people, A, people won't use it, and B, if they do use it and the mechanic uses it on my car mm. and it doesn't work properly, I can go back to him and say, well, why didn't you use the accepted... Mm, why didn't you use millispec? Well, why didn't you use the specified products? So all these consumable products are being, you know, how they're produced are being, that's all being regulated by the world's biggest war maker. Exactly. Right. That's, exactly. That's terrible, isn't it? You know, yeah. the world's biggest war maker, who's the, the largest user of fossil fuels mm. in the world. Yeah. Yep. The US military. Yeah. And they're starting to use it. So... So last year at um, their exercises, they made an announcement that um, they were trying to move their fifth fleet, strangely enough, to one that's... um, It's in um, South China Sea, isn't it? No, no, based in Dubai. Oh, okay, yep. Um, Where they've got all the oil in the world. (laughs) But they're moving that to biofuels. Oh, right. All right. Okay. And and, um, they're, they're, as part of their invasion, sorry, their military exercises, (laughs) like you'd be aware of at Saltwater Bay and what have you. Yeah. um, Rather than just um, go in and use what they were using, diesel generators and lines from ships, whatever, Mm -hmm. they've now got units that go in with them and set up and solar power and wind power technologies to run their radios and their mess tents and wow. all all their other communications and computing networks. Wow. And the rest of it. So so we can go in yep. and invade a country, but that's okay, folks, because we're doing it with solar power. You we're know? doing it sustainably. And often we're invading the countries that have all the hydrocarbons, all the oil underneath the ground, which cause global warming. So- well, exactly. I mean, it's it's, but it's not our fault that they've put the oil and all the hydrocarbons under the ground that we were planning to invade. No, yeah. Oh. Well, it was a, like when I was in the Australian Defence Force Academy at ADFA, and they were doing a, um, you know, my history lecture, they were talking about Rwanda. The history lecturer made the joke, like, if you're going to have a genocide, make sure you have oil underneath the ground, otherwise nobody cares. And that's kind of like what yeah. it's been a history of. And if you do have oil on the, under the ground, it looks like we're going to come and cause a genocide on your land anyway. Well, I mean, you talk about Rwanda. Mm. Um, I mean, that that has its basis back in the, in the um, Great African War, the Second Congolese War, mm. which comes from Congo, which was King Leopold from Belgium. Uh, Brutal dictator. Brutal dictator. You know, yeah, you yeah. know, ten or twenty million a- Africans. You don't twenty million Africans. You don't. You don't get called it. You know, genocide. Um, but then they opened a uranium mine mm. there, and that's where the uranium was sourced 
to drop on Japan for the Manhattan Project. Wow. After the war, the Japanese bought the mine. Yeah. And they were um, raping all the Congolese women, killing all the infants, the great Congolese infanticide. Yeah. And th- then it was all turned over and Congo was using child soldiers, so Britain mm. stopped supplying them with arms. Yeah. They s- supplied them to Uganda as well, who sold them to the Congo. They got rid of the people who were involved in the Congolese genocide. They moved into Rwanda. Oh, wow. I mean, it goes back to the arms industry. It goes it go- back to the it, arms it's, industry. It's all yeah. every everyone. Man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's all about resource wars. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it, has been since colonisation and colonialism. Well, you know, people say that the the old Trojan Wars were actually for access to copper mines. Right. Okay. So I would have said trade routes, but there you go. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But yeah. there, there you go. It's always about resources, and yeah. that's what wars are all over, right? Most it's resources. about resources. And yeah. at the moment, we're fighting over oil, which is the driving force of um, and water and water. Tell and us about actually, that. we're fighting over climate change. Right. All right. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, look at where's the where's the big war at the moment? Where are we looking at World War Three, Greg? Uh, China, I believe, the South China Sea. The South China Sea. Um, lots of um, uh, sea oil. level rises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, lots of refugees. Yeah. We're also looking at Syria. Is actually the one I was I was thinking of. Yeah. And some people say, you know, a lot of people say that the the Syrian conflict started mm. um, with. Um, Climate change, big drought, droughts, and mm. um, preceded by a flood. Mm-hmm. Um, the the effects of climate change move refugees. It made mm. resources scarcer, and that's what caused all that ferment yeah. in the so called fertile crescent. And and projections on the Middle East, from what you 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 know, find them on links on Facebook, but um, they seem um, I think they were pretty well verified. Is that the average temperature in the Middle East by 2050 in the summer is going to be 51 degrees Celsius? It's going to be almost unlivable, and it's going to be hot, and there's going to be no water there. Yeah, you know, we think we have a refugee crisis now. Like, it's nothing. It's, it's crazy, and all the people you look at the Maldives, for example. Mm. You know, and where are all those people going to go? Yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah. look at you, you look at India. You know, um. What's his name? Defence Secretary um, Chuck Hagel. Yeah. Um, last year was talking about climate change as a threat multiplier. Mm. And I just want to give you a quote I've pulled out and I've got from him here. He said that rising global temperatures, changing precipitation patterns, climbing sea levels and more extreme weather events will intensify the challenges of global instability, hunger, poverty and conflict. Mm. They will likely lead to food and water shortages, pandemic disease, disputes over refugees and resources and destruction by natural disasters in regions across the globe. That is what the United States military's reaction to climate change yeah, is. I just want to clear that up and say that's not Greenpeace saying that. That's not Greenpeace. That's the United States Defense Secretary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and you need to be uh, have a job like the U.S. Defense Secretary to get away with a name like Chuck Hagel. Yeah, you do. It's uh, almost befitting for him. It, it is. Boy. Yep. It, it is Chuck. Hey, Good, Chuck. Oh, mate, Chuck. Yeah, and his mate Hank. Um, <laughs> Climate change is a long-term trend, but with wise planning and risk mitigation, we can reduce adverse impacts downrange. Our first step is to identify the challenges of the effects of climate change on on the department with tangible, specific metrics using the best available sciences. So what he's saying is not... And and they are moving towards some biofuels and they are invading Mm. countries with solar and wind power, but they're not saying... <clears throat> Let's use the military, which is the you know not just the military; it's the military-industrial 
complex, complex. Yeah. to actually, you know, do what, for example, was done during the Second World War and pull in the captains of industry and say, you're not making mm. cars anymore. Mm. What you're doing is you're making tanks, you're making planes. I mean... Imagine if we said, you know, you, you're not making cars, you're not making flat screens, TVs. What you're making are Tesla batteries. Mm, yeah, yeah, and, we, yeah. Imagine that. And, yeah, imagine the outcry, but imagine how. Awesome well, even if be. we said, cut your cut your consumer production down by twenty percent. Yeah, and start making environmentally beneficent technologies. Yeah, but that's not what they're doing. No, they're saying, you know, um, they're looking at. They're accepting that climate change is going to happen because they're going to do nothing about it. Mm, mm, All right? And then mm. they're saying, but that means these places are under threat and that's where we have to put our people. Mm. We've got climate change is rising in the Asia-Pacific region. Yeah. And not only that, not only um, for the locals there, but they're also concerned about um, all their bases on places like the Marshall Islands, Diego mm. Garcia, Guam. Yeah. Um, All Okinawa. these places in the Indian Ocean that have just been colonised by the US since World War Two. That's that's right, and yeah. and all their and all their bases mm. on the east coast of the United States, which mm. is going to have a huge impact from climate change, which is already having a a huge impact, impact just off the the tail wash of the you know. Thankfully, the um, the monsoons are mainly hitting places that aren't so important, like Cuba and Puerto Rico. Yeah, and Haiti. But, you know, and Haiti, yeah, but they're still I, getting. I had to look really hard on Facebook for a, for a I stand with Haiti filter. I couldn't find. You one couldn't anywhere. find it. No. Oh, jeez, mate. Well, you know what? If I, only that hurricane was a bit stronger, you could have got an I stand with Florida one. I know. I was hoping. Yes. Jeez. Yeah, but it's ridiculous, um, isn't it? Yeah, so there's so they're worried about their bases overseas, Okinawa, mm. um, as I say, Guam, Palau. Mm-hmm. They're all in places that are subject to sea level rise, yeah. and so they're already talking. And in fact, um, the sea level rise in some of these places have been cited as a reason as it's necessary to start putting troops in Australia. Really, really. And how many troops have we got in Australia? Just for those who are unaware. Oh, thousands at the yeah, moment, I, I think. I think it's about 3,000. About 3,000. And, um, and it's on a rotating basis, so they don't call it a permanent uh, thing. But, officially. Yeah. And then, you know, the... Um, officially is right. The, the Climate Council in Australia has recently prepared a paper called Climate Change Security in Australian Defence Force. Mm, wow. And it's found, it's found um, five key findings. The first one is that it's a security threat. It poses a significant and growing threat to human and social well-being, threatening food, water, health and security. All right, and that global military forces are labelling climate change a threat multiplier, mm. which is self. I could explain about threat multiplication, but it's probably self-evident. Hopefully, hopefully for our audience, you know, understand what that means. Yeah, yeah. go on. And if you don't, turn it over to three AW. <laughs> um, it also points out that climate change put the Australian Defence Force under direct pressure because. Um, the Asia-Pacific region is most vulnerable to climate change with over half of the world's natural disasters occurring in the Asia-Pacific region last year. The ADF will increasingly be called upon to deliver humanitarian assistance in response to extreme weather and its impact both at home and overseas. It could also affect our readiness and capability by disabling critical military and civilian infrastructure. Defence property are also at risk from rising sea level. Civilian and military infrastructure. Are they talking things like power plants or ports? They're talking things like 
power plants. They're talking things like ports. Right. Yeah, exactly. Ports which bring in a lot of Australia's food and uh, all that, and our oil and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Just small things for our economy. Small things our for our life. economy. Yeah, but yeah. for our defence forces. And rising temperatures and more frequent and intense heat wave, which will have implications for the health of Australia's military personnel when undertaking training and conducting military exercises. Wow. Um, so, you know, I mean, this is how they think. And and uh, about climate change, and just as a just as a little aside here, um, during the first Gulf War in nineteen ninety one, and the American uh, nineteen ninety two, the American militaries that went back um, were asked to to rate, you know, their feedback forms, just like when you leave hospital. What do you think of the staff? How was the tucker? You know, Is it in terms of when they invaded Iraq. In terms actually. of when they invaded Iraq, right? And one of their biggest complaints was that the chocolate bars were melting. Oh, no. In the fifty-degree desert environment, I hear they nearly lost the war over that. They nearly lost a, lost the war over yeah, that, mate. Yeah. And so, um, DSTO, um, Defence Science Technology um, Food Division in Scottsdale in Tasmania, wow, um, did spent millions of dollars researching how to have a chocolate which tasted like chocolate and kept a consistency of chocolate, but didn't melt in desert environments. I thought that's why they had M and M's. No. Well, uh, who knows? I don't know. I think now nah, the 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 candy coating would rub off in your yeah. hand. Wouldn't well, you were in in the rat packs, in the ration packs in the army. You always had M and M's, but you also got the dark chocolate, which is like a big treat of sugar that you needed when you're out busting your hump. Yeah, and, yeah, and it melted. It and melted in Canberra, mate. Like, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just my soul that melts in Canberra, mate, <laughs> not my chocolate. Um, look, this um, finding of the the Cli- Climate Council of Australia, you um, the. Um, Australia are also saying that um, the UK and the US militaries are rapidly preparing while we're lagging behind and it points out that the US mandating their military address the risks of climate change as a routine part of all military planning. I can talk about that. A directive has, has come out um, responding to the Government Accounting Office of the US. Yeah. Um, and it also says that we're out of step with our allies because we're not taking climate change into account where they are. All right. Well, they're taking terms of adjusting, not actually doing anything to stop it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they're also saying that um, the strong action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is critical for limiting security implications of a climate um, climate change. So we must adapt to inevitable changes that are already occurring while working hard to minimise long-term changes, which could be disruptive. Mm. All right, so... Climate change is one of the largest long-term global challenges human, humans have ever faced in the history of civilization. The implications of the security sector and defence forces are formidable. Mm, wow. All right. So that's, that's, what, that's what they're worried about. Mm, uh, that's, mm. that's, you know, when if we go to war in the Philippines, mm. which is, you know, not out of the question with Duterte... Um, it's within the sixty percent range of possibility. I'd it's say, within the sixty percent range of possibility. Is the military like to arms use arms development? You need to you need to use it. Exactly, exactly. What a waste of brain power if we don't kill it. <coughs> um, yeah, exactly. What's the use of having a bomb if you don't use it? Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I don't think we've ever had a situation where people have had a weapon and they haven't used it. No. Um, you know, right down to when my kids were little and they found the stick. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you got to see how how it rolls, how yeah. it plays. Yeah, yep. but they're yep. also you know they're saying that the um, um, you know, 
what what I'm gonna call it, the uh, Asia Pacific region is where all the storms and where all the the, the startable. Yeah. It's also the most heavily populated mm-hmm. region in the world. Yeah. So you know between China and the and the west coast of the states, and then you got Australia and the rest of Asia and Japan and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know, you have a megaton of water or whatever megatons of water going down the the Flinders River in Mount Isa, mm. and who gives a shit? I mean, yep. it just goes down. It doesn't. You know, but you have yeah. that half that volume of water going down a, a river through somewhere in Bangladesh or or Burma thousands or Thailand, that and it's thousands and, have killed and mudslides mm, and government that aren't yeah, able to cope, cope and and, yeah. and because the neighbours and neighbouring regions are so poor, you then do you know they'll be moving into an area which is already over resourced. So as, as as activists, like let's, I want to keep talking more about the information, but this is just a question, I guess. Like, should we then really be you know, locking onto coal mines and um, like stopping coal mines from working and getting all behind the climate change thing—is that what we need to do? Or? I think we need to address it from both areas. Mm. Like, I think um, by and large, and um, peace activists have in recent times um, dropped the ball on making the connections a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think environmental activists, unfortunately, have ever been able to make the connections. Mm. What's the importance of making that connection? To realise that it's all one issue. Mm. You know, renegade activist slogan is at the heart of every just cause is to cause a justice. Mm. You know, how can you talk about climate change without talking about refugees? How can you talk about refugees without talking about militarism? How can you talk about militarism without talking about climate change? Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and I think, you know, I was talking to some refugee advocates a little while back and I was trying to interest them in Pine Gap and all the rest of it. You know, no, it's refugees. You know, I said, yeah. well, if you really want to help refugees, yeah, maybe the first thing we can do is stop using Australian facilities to drop bombs on their bloody houses. Yeah, yeah. It's the same issue, right? It's the same, same issue the because they don't want to come here. Yeah. It's, you know, oh, they yeah. don't want to come here. They would rather be at home in their own villages. Yeah, yeah. All right? They're only that. coming here because our facilities are targeting bombs on them. That's right. We're stealing all their wealth and then they want to come here and live with that wealth. That's right. Whereas the, the mainstream, the vast mainstream of refugee movement, as far as I can see, say, no, let's not talk about that. Yeah. Like capitalism yeah. and a war economy and everything like that is okay mm. as long as we treat people a bit nicer once we capture them mm, and, and you can't have both can you you can't have both yeah you know yeah. it is war and refugees uh look many many years ago in the 80s when i was talking about um, the adex protests i was addressing the sydney rainforest action group at the university of technology in sydney uts and um i was making all the connections mm. and one guy question from the audience said listen he said we campaign on forests he said because we can save a coop we can save a tree, we can have a victory. He said, but what you're talking about is overthrowing the very fabric of Western civilization." And I remember sitting there on the stage at the dais with my mouth open, nodding my head like an idiot, thinking, yes, someone's understood. We we need to attack it all. It's not like refugees are less important than Mm. militarism or climate change or forest destruction. It's all one issue. And I think what... Um, where we have, you know, the divide and rule has hit the activist movement really well as different sectors scrabble for mm. scant resources yeah. to say, you know... What about, you know, come to us, come to us. Do come to us, come to us. And, it's, yeah. and, you know, I mean, how, how you know, we... Refugees in particular mm. are fleeing the war. You yeah. know, the Rohingya are fleeing, Rohingya are, are fleeing the catastrophic effects of climate change mm-hmm. and therefore 
um, and trying to move into other regions. Yeah. The government is cracking down on them. They're becoming refugees. It, I mean, yeah. it, it is refugees, climate war, it is all the one issue. So that is what we should be doing, I think. Yeah. You know, and... Can I give a plug and say the place to do that would be at Avalon 2017? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> for those, because this is a national show, but for those who don't, Avalon is just outside of Melbourne and uh, one of the largest arms shows uh, in Australia is going to be on in 2017. It was off for a while because of activist thing, but it's a big propaganda piece for all the arms traders. The Joint Strike Fighter is going to be there, which Australia spent tens of billions of dollars, you know, developing and it's a lemon and. Um, Raytheon, the light of God, everyone's going to be there um, selling off their arms and families line up to go inside and say, isn't this great? Isn't this good that we have this beautiful defence force for us? Yeah, but before the air show for three days, there's a closed arms trade fair that mm. we're not invited to. Oh, that the they families don't... can't get into that no, one? No, the families can't get into oh, that one. Little no. Johnny. No, poor little Johnny. Johnny be good. He won't be able to buy it. won't be able to buy, buy a missile. I went to one. I went to the one the last time they had it there, you know, mm. and... Um, just all the weapons were there. And I just went up to the bloke at the Raytheon, uh, not the Raytheon store, the Lockheed Martin store. Raytheon weren't there last year, last time, but they will be this time. Mm. Um, they just announced it two days ago. Um, I went up to the Lockheed store and started talking to the bloke and told him that my neighbour had a cat mm. who caterwauled all over the night and came and shat in my garden. He was looking at me strange. I said, what kind of missile do you reckon I should mm. use for the cat? And he looked at me as if I was mad. But anyway, but it turned out I wasn't allowed to buy any missiles oh, off him. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. So. But governments can. Governments can. Governments are. It's okay, to sell, it's okay to sell a missile to kill people, but once you're talking about selling a missile to kill a cat, what are you, some kind of freak? That's disgusting. Yeah. Kind of like um, it's okay to sell them to Saudi Arabia to drop on Yemeni's children. That's fine. That's perfectly okay. But Yemenis anyway. don't have children, do they? Well, they're all out fighting, so they're soldiers now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, don't have, they don't have children. They're enemy combatants. Right. Enemy combatants. Enemy Sorry. combatants. I uh, just want to say the, to the Commonwealth of Australia, I apologise and uh, thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, a few more minutes. Uh, you did mention Lockheed Martin. There's so much more, Jacob, that you talked about. We might have to do another one before the end of the year. Um, Lockheed Martin, what do you make of the, the Carlton Research Initiative going up? <laughs> the Lockheed Martin, you know, the University of Melbourne's tackling climate change. We're going to have 40 PhD students working uh, on research for Lockheed Martin. Tell us how you feel about that. Well, you just called it, what did you call it? This... The Carlton Research Centre. You said I word institute or something. Uh, uh, initiative, initiative yeah. Sorry, the Carlton Research I've never heard it called that. No, I immediately That's thought what it's of the, on the website. I, I, I immediately thought of the acronym CRY. <laughs> <laughs> it brings me to tears, my friend. Why that? Why um, that? Well, because Lockheed Martin, the largest. I mean, normally when I'm talking about companies, I say one of the largest arms firms in the world. No, the largest yep. arms firm in the world. Mm. And now they're Australian subsidiary, fully owned, mm. all right, uh, by LH. Um, Eb, um, is um, opening this lab. They're calling it the biggest research project they've ever undertaken outside of the United States of yeah, America. Yeah. All right. Now, they're not going to say what exactly what they're researching. No. You know, but I bet you won't be biodegradable nappies. <laughs> um, they're, you know, Australia universities have a huge, a long, long history of, um, of military research. Mm. And back when they... In the late eighties, when the, when they did the B the B twelve stealth bomber, mm. we ran across. We found out that the ceramic coating for that was developed at RMIT University mm. by a research scientist who didn't even know. 
What it was going to be used what, for. He was just given a project to find a ceramic that can work within these parameters. Mm. All right. He broke his heart when he found yeah, out what yeah. it was used for. Yeah. All right. So, but at least these people going into Lockheed Martin, these PhD students, will have won't be able to say they didn't know. Mm. All right, what they'll be doing would be working out more efficient means of killing people, yeah. whether they're working on ceramics, whether they're working on flight paths, whether they're working on integrated circuit boards, whatever they're working on, Don't they're going to be working on killing people. And this is happening in Melbourne. Strangely enough, mm. on a site which was previously part of the Royal Women's Hospital. Yeah, that cry. Where my, where my children were born. Mm, mm. And and so I think what we need to do to start with is um, activate the students mm. and the unions who are building it perhaps and say, you know, I mean, I might actually talk to the unions myself and say, well, you're going to put a, a green ban on the on the cork, on the, the Corkman pub. Mm. Um mm. What about the Let's Corkman pub, the pub that was demolished the, yeah. in Melbourne uh, recently, caused headlines in Victoria. A, yep. block, a, a block away from where the um, the building, where the Stella Lab is going to be. The, the Stella, the Stella. Lockheed what do they Stella call Lab. it? Stella Space Special. Technology and Electrical, um, you know, all this. Excellence kind of was in there. Excellence is in there, yeah. Yeah, research Stella Lab. Um, and Stella, of course, being to do with the stars, stars. and so space and, oh, mate. Well, we're going to turn Earth into a star. We're, we've run out of time, Jacob. It's been... Uh, we're, we have we're Hardly started. There's so much more I've got here. So many more notes I made for myself. I could right, we'll, have to do another day. We'll do a part three. That'll come up later in the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to the Radio Radioactive Show. Um, I've been joined today by Jacob. Great, Jacob. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yes. what, what can people do? Just quickly, what can people do if they question everything question and look everything. at the website disarm.org.au yeah. and look up disarm and renegade activists on Facebook. Do that. Um, this uh, this uh, interview has gone a little bit over time, so the full interview will be uh, podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. Radioactive show broadcast across Australia on the community radio network, record on the lands of the Rundry people in 3CR Melbourne.